With the deadline for the selection of hybrid or distance learning approaching, we sit down with Dr. Brewer, who describes what school will look like on January 21st. So could you just like um, take us through like a day at school with hybrid? Just Yeah, sure. Actually, hybrid learning is already occurring here at Dominion High School. It has been since uh, mid-October. Now, uh, what's happening right now is the same as what, very similar to what's going to happen come January 1st. What's different about it right now is the scale. We, at most, on any given day, currently bring in 45 students. And it, when January 21st rolls around, we could potentially bring as many as six or 700. I don't think it'll be that many because many parents will opt for distance learning. But what happens in a day of, distance, a day of hybrid learning is that students will enter the school building and have a health check before they ever enter. So there are entry points to the building that each student will likely be assigned, and they will need to have completed a health chair, a health checker, symptom checker survey before coming, and we'll also check their temperature so that we stand the best opportunity of keeping one another safe. Then students are used to kind of hanging out in the hallways. We're really going to need them to move on to their first or fifth block class. And... Uh, you know, without gathering other than maybe to go to the cafeteria and get some breakfast, which I believe they'll still be able to do. And then the day's going to unfold much like ordinary days of school. Classes are going to uh, last about 80 to 90 minutes, and we're going to have class changes. We think advisory. I'd like to move advisory to right after first and fifth block. And advisory, people won't move to advisory. Advisory will be completely via distance. So whatever class you happen to be in during first block, you'll just log into your Google Meet from that location rather than have to change a class to go to advisory. Then we'll move on to second block, third block, and fourth block. Uh, one change between what we're currently doing back to something that's more normal is that during third block on A days and seventh block on B days, we will have to have lunch shifts, four lunch shifts. So students will go to the cafeteria if they're in the building during their assigned lunch shift. And distance learners will need to adjust to that assigned lunch shift. They won't just be able with the whole school right now is eating lunch from about 12.35, 12.40 until 1.15. But we'll have to stagger those lunch shifts once we return to, to hybrid learning with more students returning to hybrid learning. Another thing that will be different about uh, hybrid learning this year is that during class changes students will need to go right to class they can't go to the bathroom they're actually going to need to use the bathroom during class and use e-hall pass to do so because we can't have uh, too many people gathering in the bathrooms at one time that'd just not be safe uh, at the end of the day students will um, go out of the building we'll be asking them of course to maintain social distancing as they leave um, will be, of course, at all times during the school day, one, I guess, additional thing that will be different is everybody's got to wear a mask. Uh, other than the time that they're eating, they got to keep their masks on. Mask breaks are going to be a real challenge for us. You know, lunchtime's going to be the mask break for the day. And uh, other than that, it's going to be tough to pull that off. So, sorry, that's a long-winded nope, answer to that question. that's perfect, actually. Um, then I was going to just trace back and, like, ask a couple questions on each detail that you mentioned. With the temperature checks, um, 
how is that going to work? Like, are students going to have to line up and then have to wait? Because I, I expect that to be, like, a long wait time. And then them having to get to, like, class on time. And yeah, that that's a great question, Nicole. And we actually have had many opportunities to practice this this fall because we've administered the SAT, the PSAT, and the ACT here repeatedly. Going on probably now seven or eight days that we've done that. So we have a lot of practice about how to cue our students up in lines that are socially distanced. And I would say we probably don't expect anybody to have to wait more than a couple of minutes to get a health check. We will probably expand what we've already done to use multiple entrances. Um, we've done some of that already, but we will probably do more of that once, depending on how many students return. Uh, so yes, there'll be uh, stations set up and students will need to approach that station, show their, the results of their health check survey, and uh, get their temperature taken, which only takes each student probably you know, three seconds or mm -hmm. so. So it actually should play out really efficiently. We will need students to be arriving to school early. You know, one of the things we gotta move away from is the 9-12 arrival in the parking lot, thinking that you're gonna get the class on time because you won't. You know, if, you, if you're coming in at the last minute, you're going to be late. We really need everybody to think about arriving prior to 9 o'clock to leave a little time to get to class and, and do the health check and get to class. So how will school buses work in regards to, like, picking up students? And Yeah, buses are going to be routed um, to pick up students, and the bus capacity, as I understand it, ideally will be 13 students. It's my understanding that if a particular bus needs to have more than 13 assigned to it, they'll deal with that. We'll deal with that. But the 13 capacity comes from having one student per row on alternate sides of the bus all the way to the back, 13 rows of seats. And so that's the ideal capacity. And generally, high school students who are assigned to a bus don't necessarily ride the bus. So if we're assigning 13 students to a bus, we won't have 13 riding. Um, so that, that's basic idea with uh, bus riders. I don't believe uh, health checks are going to be able to be carried out by bus drivers because of safety issues on the road. So the health check will have to occur here at school once students arrive. Okay, and so for those who are um, driving to school on their own, and I've known like a lot of students carpool with others, will that be allowed? Will you allow carpooling? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I'm, I've already been outspoken about my desire to make sure that does not happen outside of family members. Um, first of all, most of our drivers should only have one passenger in the car to begin with, um, and except for family members. Um, enforcing this, of course, when we're trying to pay attention to temperature checks and uh, you know, have people completed their symptom checker could be a challenge for us. So the best enforcement for this is parents and students to choose wisely. You know, we really can't afford to carpool to school, put more kids maybe in the car than should be in the there in the first place. One of those students is sick and then, you know, run the risk of getting lots of kids sick across the school. So we'll definitely be significantly discouraging carpooling outside of immediate family units. Now that we've gone through like the beginning of the day, um, how will you organize classrooms in regards of like seating, distancing? And yeah, that's great. I think, you know, Mr. Signorelli is responsible for this. And we have a chart from Loudoun County Public Schools about the seating capacity of each classroom with our health mitigation strategies in place. 
So we will remove all the furniture. Right now, his plan is to remove all the furniture that's unnecessary up to the point of that classroom's capacity. So in our ideal capacity, where students are separated by eight foot of, they're, uh, they're separated by eight feet of distance, the, uh, most of our classrooms can accommodate eight students at a time. Eight people, so seven students and a teacher, or six students and two teachers if it's a co-taught class. So um, he'll be evaluating that really, really carefully, and we'll be making sure that the rooms only have the allowable amount of furniture. Uh, we have had a couple of uh, what are called C containers delivered to the property. They're big, yellow, ugly, semi like the backs of semi-trucks, and that's where excess furniture will be stored until we can get back to a pathway of normal operating procedures. And if a teacher were to get sick, would their students move online? Well, that's an excellent question, Nicole. The way that Loudoun County Public Schools has organized the classroom uh, layout, a teacher who is sick should not become a close contact of any of the students in the classroom because the teacher is supposed to maintain eight feet, eight feet of distance from the, from the class. And the CDC guideline says you're only at risk of catching COVID-19 from another human being if you have been within a six-foot radius of that person for 15 minutes or more. So we're definitely going to be instructing teachers to stay out of each student's uh, six-foot bubble, especially for lengths of time of 15 minutes or more. You know, once in a while, a teacher needs to approach a student and point something out, right? That's not correct. You should, that's supposed to be negative, not positive. We want to do that from a uh, distance as much as we possibly can. We definitely can't be in that student's six-foot circle from a, uh, over a sustained period of time. So actually, if a teacher got sick, what would ideally happen is that the rest of the class would not be close contacts because the teacher had done a good job maintaining their distance. The students could actually remain in the classroom, and if the teacher's well enough, she can go home and teach from home, again, if she feels physically well enough to do so, she can teach that classroom distance while a substitute sits in the classroom to support the management of the students who are uh, still healthy in the class. And will there any, like, will there be anyone like monitor, monitoring and like checking up to see if like students and teachers are engaging in like the classes functioning as I'm so glad planned. you asked, Nicole, because like I said, you know, hybrid instruction's already going on here at school. So every day I take a tour of at least some of our classrooms and certainly when that time comes, I won't be able to go into all of them every day. But I will be, assistant principals will be, and our safety and security specialists will be focused on making sure that people are observing our social distancing and health mitigation strategies. So, yeah, I, as I'm going around to classrooms, I'm helping teachers enforce mask rules with their students. I'm making sure that teachers are being mindful that although it's really tempting to get in that student's six-foot bubble and try to help them with something, it's so important to stay out of that, stay out of that circle. So yes, we're actually already doing that and we will continue to do it. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'll go on a little tangent here, Nicole, and say I am on a rapid, uh, uh, I'll say frantic's not quite the word I wanna use, but a frantic pace to get all of my classroom observations done by hopefully by winter break, but certainly by the first week of January so that I don't have to be tied to sitting in any one particular classroom for long periods of time, observing the teacher from a professional standpoint, 
because that's a very time-consuming part of my job because I want to be available to be a full-time health mitigation specialist once we have more students and teachers in the building. And as you mentioned, if like someone would to break the rules of um, per se, take their mask off, like what are the consequences for that? Well, we the first thing we're going to try to do is reason with a student or a teacher and make sure that they're they're wearing their mask properly and that they have it on. And thus far, um, in our implementation of hybrid instruction, we have only had to, there's only been one student we couldn't get to bring around to do that. He was four years old, one of our tiny tights. So we, uh, we think that 14 to 18-year-old students are going to understand and be very cooperative with us. But I have to admit, the four-year-old student who wouldn't keep his mask on, he did have to be sent home because nobody has the right to endanger the well-being of everyone else in the building. Yep. And just going back to the way like the teaching, like hybrid and online will like kind of work together, how will that work? Like will teachers have to also um, be on their Chromebook and teach the students online as well as stay engaged with the like students um, with hybrid learning? Yes, Nicole, this is going to be the the monumental instructional challenge of every teacher in the building of their entire career. Um, switching to distance learning was the greatest challenge of their professional career to date. But this is going to be even more challenging. You know, at a bare minimum, teachers could continue to do the types of things they're doing right now and probably achieve a high degree of success and have some significant, although, dis although socially distant, interaction with the students who remain in the building. But I know our teachers, and I know our teachers are going to discover, once we start doing this, some really impressive ways to keep those students who aren't in the room engaged. At a minimum, those students are going to be participating in every class through a Google Meet, just like they are now. And the teacher will always be engaged in a Google Meet perpetually while they're teaching. And um, there'll probably be some times when the kids who are at home might be able to go to a breakout room or complete something asynchronously to manage their, their, synchronous, their screen time. Their screen time. Um, but for the most part, they're going to need to stay logged in through Google Meet throughout the class periods. And the teacher is going to always have the Google Meet up, even if they might be working with a small group in the room. It's going to be a monumental challenge. There's no doubt about it. The biggest challenge of any teacher's professional career. And we're going to try to provide them with all the support that they need to be successful. And I feel really good about what we're doing from distance learning right now. While it's not ideal, I think what our teachers are doing are the, is the most ideal thing they could be doing with the limitations that they have. And I feel confident that if, that if they continue many of the practices they already have in place, that distance learning is, is still, the distance learners are still going to be able to meaningfully participate, and the students in the room will gain some added benefit by having immediate access to the teacher. So, would teachers have to stay on camera or when they're in the Google Meet and possibly have to move out at some time? Yeah, that's a great question, Nicole. Right now, 98% of our teachers are teaching camera on except maybe when they're trying to display a, um, a movie or something like that. And they, they obviously go camera down to, to minimize the pull on bandwidth. 
But in this environment, in the concurrent teaching environment, I see a lot of potential for teachers to go camera down for lengthy periods of time because we're, we're probably not going to want them to be stuck exclusively behind their laptop. So, yeah, I think that'll change the dynamic ever so slightly for the distance learners. In fact, in order to facilitate that, each teacher is going to have a microphone, a classroom microphone, so that the, wherever they are in the classroom, the distance learners will still be able to hear them. And this will be a microphone that, uh, is, um, that picks up distance across the room. So when a distance learner hears, a, when, a, when a student in the classroom answers a question that the teacher has asked, they won't necessarily have to be in a Google Meet with earbuds in for the distance learners to hear what they have to say. So that microphone is going to be liberating in terms of allowing the class in-person classroom participants to be engaged with the distance learners, even if they're not right in front of the right in front of a Chromebook at the time. And when teachers are like presenting or like lecturing or teaching a topic, they will they use their like whiteboard or smart board and. Yeah, you know, the, the monitor, the displays that are in each classroom will, be, will have to be used by the teacher. They could be used for a wide range of purposes. And uh, we're going to, and I'll be honest and say, Nicole, right now I don't know exactly all the purposes they might use the, the uh, large display in the classroom for, but they will definitely, their, their device will be connected to the display monitor, and those display monitors are going to be used constantly for sure. And so is there like a, a tool or something that would also be like visible to students online? Like, will that? Yeah, I think a lot of the times what teachers will choose to do with the monitor. And again, there may be lots of other things that they'll do with the in-class display. But I think they'll present their Google Meet on the big display so that the students in the classroom can see mm -hmm. the presentation. Uh, you know, most teachers tend to teach in presentation mode the whole time. So the presentation will then be on the big screen so that kids in the classroom may or may not need to be on a Chromebook in the Google Meet to participate in that particular part of the lesson. All right. And, of course, they're going to have to use, again, the teacher's going to have to be in Google Meet the whole time for the sake of the distance learners. We've got the classroom work sort of settled. And... Um, some people were wondering about like band and stuff like for orchestra or band, like how is that going to work? Yeah, actually I'm so excited about that, Nicole, if you don't mind, I'll start even a little bigger picture than that and yeah. say, you know, Oh, here's, and I'll, I'll tip my hand a little bit about what I think we should be doing during this season. During this season, I think what we have going on from distance learning, I think it's the best thing we can do from, uh, with the, with the limitations that we have right now. So I'm comfortable with where we are with distance learning. What I'm uncomfortable about is the fact that we haven't given kids opportunities to be engaged in school. So I really want our soccer team, our basketball team, our band, our choir, our dance team. I want kids on stage. And we can do those things safely. We know we can do them safely. We're already doing them safely. It does require coaches, directors, and club sponsors to be really on the same team and on the same page about the implementation of our health mitigation strategies. But we have started to have in the last couple of weeks an, a significant increase in participation in extracurricular activities. 
for the most part, those have been led by our athletic teams who are now able to get into the gym, into the weight room, and of course, continue to use our outdoor athletic facilities. Participation is significantly increased among our coaches and athletes over the last couple of weeks. And the next thing that's gonna happen is the band and the color guard are gonna be able to come in in sectionals to begin to rehearse in person. And so what I mean by sectionals is that, for example, um, we'll have the drum line. The drum line, the percussion instruments will all come in together to uh, prepare, prepare musically um, in person. And then, uh, you know, then there'll be a section for brass. A subset of the brass instruments will come in together. They have to do so with a little bit stricter health mitigation uh, strategies than the rest of us. If you're coming in for, um, let's say you're coming in to be on stage, if you're on stage and you're just talking to other people, you need to be six feet apart from others. If you're playing an instrument, however, you have to be at least 10 feet apart from others, for example. So we just have to adjust uh, depending on what activity students are involved in to enhance the chances that they're going to be safe in the activities that they're involved in. And I'm really excited that students are doing that. In my ideal world, we would put our primary focus for the rest of this school year on doing a great job teaching students from distance and engaging them in the building and in extracurricular activities like sports, drama, band, debate, and things of that nature. So that'd be my ideal world. I know not everyone agrees with that perspective, but I think that gives us the best chance to be effective instructionally, safe from a health standpoint, and yet engaging for students' social, emotional uh, well-being. Well With classes like gourmet foods, how will those work out? Uh, yeah, so every one of the things I recognize is that every discipline has its own unique set of considerations in this environment. In career and technical education, we need guidelines about whether or not we can cook in a food lab, whether or not we can sew, whether or not we can build things in the shop. So we need guidelines established by Loudoun County Public Schools that we will follow. We also need guidelines from our science department, for example, or from our health and physical education supervisor on a countywide basis. So some things that are becoming evidently clear to me already is that the risks associated with actually having students cook in kitchens are too high for Loudoun County Public Schools comfort level. So that's gonna be a big disappointment to our students enrolled in gourmet foods. We will be able to demonstrate cooking technique. We won't be able to have students actually practice in school, which is a bummer. In physical education, for example, it's my current understanding that locker rooms are closed to athletes and to students participate, participating in physical education. I believe that's out of concern for an ability to maintain social distancing in that environment. So we won't be using locker rooms, and that means students are going to need to come dressed with the things that they plan to wear for PE, for example, dressed in something they'd feel comfortable participating in for PE. And then our athletic teams, um, you know, that's going to be a challenge for those who are hybrid, transitioning, say, from, uh, you know, in this, uh, we'll still be just finishing the end of winter season, you know, transitioning from being in class all day to the basketball team. With the locker room not open, you know, our ath basketball athletes are going to need to change in the bathrooms. So 
uh, you know, that's going to be a challenge. We're going that's a whole other thing we're going to need to monitor carefully. And I, I, I'd like to see us reassess that too, because I'm not sure that's the best way to do that, but we'll, uh, those, that's just a sample, you know, every department has its own unique considerations like that. So some more than others, those are some of the most notable. The biggest one though, probably is fine arts. You know, they've got to adjust so much to make sure that as they play instruments and they sing, which sends obviously, um, air droplets much further than just the process of talking. Can you sing with a mask on? Lots of considerations there for our fine arts department, for sure. Those all those considerations have been developed by Loudoun County Public Schools. And what I'm doing, Nicole, as a principal, is I'm making uh, one assistant principal and our department chair in each of those departments, they're responsible to be the experts in that particular area. I can't personally hold all that expertise as a single individual, so I'm trusting them to be my lieutenants, if you will, to make sure that we know what the best practices are and that we're implementing those. And then as I have questions about something, as I go around to classrooms and I see something that looks to me like it might be unsafe, I'll go to the experts to say, is what I saw in alignment with our health mitigation strategies or do I need to ask that teacher and those students to make an adjustment? Thanks for asking that question. That's pretty yeah, of important. Course. Yeah, and then for Titan time, like uh, with online, there wasn't like a Google Meet available for that. So that was just like asynchronous work. How will that work here for hybrid? Yeah, so distance learners will continue to work asynchronously during Titan time unless we believe that student really needs an adult helping support their work. And for those students, we already have a plan. Many of our students actually do check in to a Google Meet during their Titan time. Uh, not a majority, a, a small minority, but some who need that kind of support already get that kind of support. When we return to the building, those students who return to the building, they'll still be working independently, which is kind of the face-to-face -face word we use for asynchronous, right? So they'll be 30 or 40 kids in the cafeteria being supervised by Mr. Stewart. They'll be way spread out in the cafeteria, but they'll be doing work asynchronously or independently, just like they always have in Titan time. And there's always a chance that someone's mask could break or just something could happen that's will there be like a room or like any like additional materials or masks provided to students and you bet yep we'll certainly encourage students to bring their own masks ones that fit them well ones that they're comfortable in but we'll have an unlimited supply of uh, masks for staff and students who need one you bet all right and then for lunchtime, will like how will that work out? Just, just yeah. In line lunchtime, for you know, let's say we have 500 students who come. Uh, let's say we have a thousand students who want to come back to school. That's what the number was back in July. I don't know if it'll be that high. I don't think it'll be higher. Maybe it'll be lower. But let's say the number is a thousand. That means roughly 500 kids are going to be assigned to be in school on Tuesday and Wednesday and 500 different kids on Thursday and Friday. We'll have four lunch shifts just like we always do, and we'll divide those four lunch shifts up into groups of 125 students. And our cafeteria capacity is somewhere right in that number. So we'll make sure that we have the number of lunch shifts we need so that when students come to the cafeteria, we are not exceeding the occupancy limit of that room as students eat there. And um, 
that's what we actually always do. We have to, we, we actually are a big enough school that we have to carefully divide those four lunch shifts to get the entire student body into the cafeteria within the fire code, which is somewhere around 400 kids is the most that could ever be in there anyway. So, and of course, COVID-19 health mitigation strategies lower that capacity significantly. So again, we're actually doing this already with about 40 kids in the cafeteria on a single lunch shift. And uh, they're spread out. This furniture spread out a lot more than it usually is. There's less furniture than there usually is set up. And um, it's, uh, and our students are being really respectful about maintaining their distance uh, thus far. And with drills, how would that work out? Like tornado drills, fire drills? Yeah, you know, in a drill situation, the first thing you want to think about is, is the risk of a fire or an explosion a greater threat to me? Or is the threat of COVID-19 a greater threat to me? And for the most part, we would have to say, you know, I can't be in a burning building. I got to get out of that burning building as efficiently as I can. Even if that means for a few minutes, I'm, I'm, I'm more closely exposed to others. So we're going to be encouraging students and staff to exit the building in an orderly, efficient, safe manner, maintaining as much social distancing as is possible under the circumstances. In a drill situation, there's no reason why we can't maintain six feet of distance even while we exit the building. But in an emergency situation, we might need to exit more quickly than that and then scatter into six feet circles once we get outside. Fortunately, we have 87 acres of property. Once we get outside of the building, we'll take advantage of every piece of that land we need to to get spread out when we're outside. There's not a great deal of risk in a one-minute journey through the hallway to get out of the building in terms of spreading COVID-19 from one person to another, but we don't want to go outside and congregate right next, you know, stand right next to each other for a lengthy period of time while we wait for the building to be cleared. That would be more endangering from a COVID-19 standpoint. And then I was going to ask about like nurse, the nurse, like tending students, like will that still be yep. available? So the nurse, we actually have the nurse and now we have a pay, we have a paid staff member who's a care specialist. So anybody who is believed to be in the building and to have developed COVID-like symptoms since the time they arrived will actually not be sent to the nurse's office. They will be sent to a separate care room. And that's because we don't want students who need to come to the nurse's office to get routine medication. We have hundreds of students, well, dozens of students who do that every day. We don't want to expose well students to kids who are sick. So there'll be care rooms set up in our uh, building where students who develop COVID, um, COVID symptoms are sent if they become sick during the day. Now remember, everybody who comes to school in the first place is telling us, I feel fine, I don't feel sick at all. So we hope that we won't have to use the care rooms a lot. You know? But there'll be times when somebody gets sick you know, between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. and we'll need to first of all assess, is this possibly COVID related? If so, they won't even go to the nurse's office to keep the nurse's office a safe place for kids who might be um, you know, dealing with allergies or you know, getting um, their insulin, uh, you know, get, taking their insulin or taking a medication that they need, an antibiotic for a cold, things of that nature. Will there be changes to the senior exemption policy? Well, that's an excellent question, Nicole, and uh, principals haven't discussed that yet, but here's how I'm going to cast my vote when that conversation comes up. Um, just like 
some of the seniors are going to be learning all the time from distance learning. So we would count learning from distance as a present, not an absent from class. So if a student, maybe in the past, a student who had the beginnings of a cold would come into school because they're like, I don't want to miss any days. I want to, you know, I want to be able to miss them at the end. We're going to be asking them to stay home. If you feel well enough, attend class from home. That'll count just as much as having been present in the building. If you blow off class altogether and decide you're going to go to the batting cages or something, then that absence, of course, would count. So what would happen if a teacher would take leave and does, like, does not return for the second semester? And Nicole, I'm really, that's probably my biggest source of stress right now is thinking about how we're going to staff the school if a number of teachers believe they cannot return to the building from a health standpoint. And I'm really worried about that. So I'm already trying to identify the long-term substitutes who could take their place. And um, that's going to be a monumental challenge that we're already trying to work on. Um, I don't know the extent of that problem, but I have an idea. It could be as many as 12, 15, 20 staff members. That's a lot of people to have a long-term sub for. And uh, I will say one other thing to think about is that Loudoun County Public Schools is going to be monitoring that information and may at some point have to make a decision that we can't we can't implement the concurrent teaching model the hybrid uh, learning model because we don't have a sufficient number of qualified staff members to staff it that is one of their criteria so they right now believe division-wide that they can I'm a little worried about that at Dominion High School we have a number of students I'm sorry teachers who have family members who would be compromised if if the staff member got sick and took it home. I know those staff members are concerned about that and may choose to take leave as a result. And replacing them is my biggest concern. And I'm already working on that. And with SOL testing or any testing in general, like, will that still be available? In like yeah, yeah, we've been doing all the testing so far. So um, while we don't gear up and do a ton of SOL testing this time of year, we do do some. We'll have some go on during December, some more going on in February. And, um, yeah, it'll, it'll have to happen in person. So we'll have to pay attention like we did with the SAT. We'll have to make sure we manage how many people are in the room at once to keep it safe. We don't have all the details worked out about our plan yet. I do know that we're going to do um, this early testing, which is for students who need a, an SOL in order to graduate. Um, and they, they, it's kind of a makeup test for them. Um, we're going to do those on Mondays so that it doesn't interfere with instructional time. And we won't be able to do all the testing on Mondays, obviously, when the spring comes. But, yeah, that's going to be interesting. The SOLs, as I understand it, cannot be administered from distance. So that means the distance learners, and I, I haven't even begun to think about this, but this is just kind of a random off-the-cuff thought here. You know, the distance learners are going to need to have an opportunity to come in the building and take their SOLs. So our SOL administration this spring is going to be a lot different than it's ever been in the past if, if the Commonwealth of Virginia sticks with their plan to even administer the SOLs. Right now, they're very firm on their decision that that's what they're going to do. But you never know what's going to happen from a health standpoint in our country over the next six or seven months that might impact and will the we will our, there's a new grading policy for this uh, second quarter? Will that still remain for third and fourth? And well, it changed a little bit. It changed dramatically from last year to this year. 
and uh, teachers had to make massive adjustments to the way they've graded in the past for the first quarter. And then as the first quarter went along, the primary problem was we realized all the testing that teachers had to do to follow the policy was unhealthy for kids. So the policy has been tweaked to back off of some of the things that were ex teachers were expected to do. And that's a good thing. I think that that policy is probably going to change again and again and again, depending on our circumstances. And so it probably will not be stable this year, uh, I, I don't think. I would expect additional changes to occur second semester as well. So based off the high numbers of D's and F, the uh, quarter one grades be erased or will, like how will the end of the year formulas like be Yeah, altered? so the year-long grading uh, of students is going to be interesting, Nicole. While some students really thrive in the distance learning environment and perform better than they ever have, which was pretty impressive to me as I review everybody's report card, there were twice as many failing grades as we've ever seen before here at Dominion High School in the first quarter. So the direction I've been given at this point by my supervisor in order to mitigate that is to begin now to think about credit recovery options for those students during the second, third, and fourth quarter so that we don't get to the end of the year Usually we have about five or 600 failures out of nine or 10,000 classes during the first quarter. This year we had 1,000, over 1,000 Fs. So what we've been asked to do right now is make sure those students have opportunities to get back on track now in their classes. So, uh, and given that the lowest grade students should have earned first quarter was a 50, not a 10 or a 22, they should have plenty of time to recover that, but they really do need to step up. And one thing I will say is, as a school administration, we have identified those students. We've used a couple of factors, one of which is the number of failing grades they had for the first quarter, and we are reaching out to the parents of those families and encouraging them, since it's obvious that distance learning didn't work very well for their student during the first quarter, we're reaching out to those parents and coaching them to consider, strongly consider selecting hybrid instruction for the second semester so we can help them get back on track. So that's the only thing I'm aware of right now. I really wouldn't expect there to be a change to the way we calculate grades this year unless something catastrophic happens later this year, like a complete shutdown of the Commonwealth of Virginia schools again or something of that nature. Even in that case, though, we're pretty well prepared this year, so I, I really don't think there will be like a change to the way we calculate grades. Students really do need to take seriously the, their own academic progress with the resources they do have it available to them. With like winter sports just starting soon, um, there's main concern with wrestling, and since it's a very um, contact sport and in an isolated room, it's very, like how would that work out? Yeah, the Virginia High School League and Loudoun County Public Schools are working hard to make sure we can start winter season on the selected date, December 7th. And uh, wrestling is among those sports. There are school divisions across the Commonwealth that are opting out of winter sports altogether. There are probably other school divisions that are opting out of wrestling in particular. 
But right now, Loudoun County Public Schools and the Virginia High School League are on track to start all winter sports on December 7th, including wrestling. Mitigating the health concerns in wrestling, of course, are the daily symptom checker and temperature checks. And then the, the mat um, in, in a competition will have to be uh, disinfected in between every match. Uh, wrestlers won't, you know, just like all other athletes, when they're on the bench waiting their turn to wrestle, they're going to be socially distanced. But a big part of the question you asked is they practice in a little tiny room. And that room is now going to have a capacity limit that's much smaller than it ordinarily would be. I don't remember what the precise number is, but it's something like eight, eight or something like that. So we're going to probably have to have staggered practice sessions. And that's not such a bad thing because we're going to want to make sure that all of the young women and young men who are wrestling aren't wrestling constantly with each other because we don't want to get the whole team infected. Our wrestling coaches and athletes are actually probably better positioned to deal with COVID than anybody else because they're used to having to deal with another communicable disease, several others, including ringworm, for example. They know they have to follow really strict protocols to protect themselves from spread of other communicable diseases. So th these folks will really take their responsibilities to keep athletes safe really seriously. And I was skeptical that wrestling would be allowed to happen, but the Virginia High School League, and they have a medical uh, advisory committee, and uh, Loudoun County Public Schools have been very thoughtful about the conditions under which wrestling can still occur. And I hope, it, I hope it happens, and I hope it happens safely. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nicole. Thank you, Dr. Brewer, for your time. And please visit dhspress.com for all the news Titans need to know.